This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecki is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Gwilda Wiecki's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Science of Magic or endorsed in any manner by Gwilda Wiecki, Relmar McConnell Media Company, its affiliated networks, stations, or employees. Welcome to the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, a program dedicated to uncovering the unified nature of reality and humanity's ever-evolving place as truly galactic beings. For more information on the Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiecka, visit us online at www.thescienceofmagic.net. Welcome once again to the Science of Magic, a program combining the science and magic of today's leading topics to co-create new solutions and hopefully promote evolutionary thinking. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. This hour, we'll be exploring the danger of healthy food. It was in my garden I first noticed a plant defending itself. I was preparing to brace one of my prized tomatoes heavy with green fruit. I'd just taken hold of a branch when a pungent odor hit the air. It wasn't the first time I'd noticed the phenomenon. Everything would smell normal until I happened to brush against a tomato plant while weeding, and just like magic, the smell would manifest. My skin would itch where I'd come in contact with the leaves of the irate plant. What other ways do plants defend themselves, I idly wondered before going on about my business. No matter how seemingly healthy our diets may be, Many of us are plagued with weight gain, inflammation, high cholesterol, heart disease, diabetes, allergies, and the list goes on. This just doesn't add up. What are we missing? What if our food is far from helpless and our modern practices of growing, feeding, harvesting, and shipping out of season has actually put our health in serious jeopardy? What if the widespread practice of feeding livestock soy and grains to fatten them when it would not be a food they'd normally eat? alters their meat in such a way as to be detrimental to our health and well-being. After all, it's not wise to fool Mother Nature. We've hardly begun to understand the complex, seemingly magical interrelationships between everything in the natural world, and yet we feel free to alter it willy-nilly without understanding the ramifications of doing so. To everything there is a season, and a time for every purpose under heaven. With us to examine this modern dilemma is Dr. Stephen Gundry, a renowned cardiologist, New York Times bestselling author, and a medical researcher. During his 40-year career in medicine, he has performed over 10,000 heart surgeries and developed life-saving medical devices. His book, Dr. Gundry's Diet Evolution, 
instructs on how to heal and avoid surgery through diet. His second book, The Plant Paradox, a New York Times bestseller, outlines a 90-day plan for some of the world's most pressing health issues. Dr. Gundry practices medicine at a Center for Restorative Medicine and Inter International Heart and Lung Institute in Palm Springs and Santa Barbara, California. His website, GundryMD.com. Dr. Gundry, thanks so much for joining us on The Science of Magic. Well done. I'm happy to be here. So tell me, how much nutrition did you actually receive in medical school? Uh, we got, oh, I think about 15 minutes uh, telling us uh, about carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. And uh, <laughs> that was about it. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you get from there to here? Well, luckily, uh, back in the dark ages uh, at Yale University as an undergraduate, um, I was allowed to do a special major in human evolutionary biology, where I had to defend a thesis. And the thesis was that you could take a great ape, manipulate its food supply, and manipulate its environment, and create a human being. And because of those factors, and I actually successfully defended my thesis. And then I kind of shoved it aside and went to medical school. And uh, it wasn't until uh, when I was about 50 years old when I met a gentleman uh, who I call in my first book, Big Ed, who had inoperable coronary artery disease. And he, quite frankly, cleaned out most of the blockages in his coronary arteries with uh, a diet that he designed and taking a bunch of supplements from a health food store. And when he started describing this diet that he had designed, I was uh, you know, shocked that it was actually my thesis at Yale. And why that was so poignant at that time was that I was a big fat heart surgeon cardiologist, uh, despite eating a healthy, low-fat diet at Loma Linda University. Well, we're going to have to take up with Big Ed and the Great Ape on the other side of a commercial break. I'm really looking forward to it. It is time for that break, so Dr. Gundry and I will return shortly. Don't go away. You're listening to The Science of Magic. Our current episodes are aired daily on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, xzbn.net. In service to our listeners, prior innovative episodes can always be accessed free of charge on our website, thescienceofmagic.net. The Science of Magic is produced by Relmar McConnell Media Company out of Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell? 
The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is Dr. Stephen Gundry, a renowned cardiologist and New York Times bestselling author and medical researcher. His website, GundryMD.com. Dr. Gundry, we were just talking about Big Ed, <laughs> the great <laughs> ape, <laughs> and how you came from being an overweight cardiologist. <laughs> what, what changed it all? Uh, well, Big Ed was 48 years old and a big fat guy, and he was uh, diagnosed with inoperable coronary artery disease. He could, you couldn't put stents in him, you couldn't do bypasses, and like many of these people, they would go around to the country, and they still do, looking for cardiologists or surgeons to, to deal with them, and he got turned down at all the usual places, and he ended up in my office at Loma Linda, and... Um, he brought his angiogram movie of his heart and he had clogged arteries all over the place. Mm -hmm. And he asked me, he told me what he'd been doing and he'd lost 45 pounds in six Mm. months. And he'd been taking all these supplements from a health food store. And I used to think supplements made expensive urine. I really did. (laughs) Uh, And uh, so he he asked for another uh, angiogram, another cardiac catheterization. And in six months' time, he literally cleaned out half the blockages in his heart. Uh, They were gone. Wow. And I was rather impressed. And so as he described what he'd done with his diet, it was exactly what my research at Yale had found. And so... Back with the great ape. Yeah, my, luckily, yeah. my parents had, had kept my thesis, um, all 175 pages of it. And so I uh, asked them to send it up to me, and I put myself on my thesis. And I lost 50 pounds my first year and subsequently another 20, and I've kept it off for 17 years now. Fantastic. And I, and I put my, and I started taking a bunch of supplements. And uh, I started sending my blood work up to uh, some impressive labs around the country, and I had high cholesterol and high blood pressure and pre-diabetes and arthritis and migraine headaches, and they all went away. And I started putting my staff on the program and my patients on the program, and all of these issues resolved. So after about a year of doing this at Loma Linda, I actually looked at myself in the mirror one Friday. Uh, My wife still calls it Black Friday. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I said, you know, I, I can't keep treating people with stents and heart surgery. I need to treat them with food and supplements. So I actually resigned my position and, wow. and set up an institute in Palm Springs and subsequently in Santa Barbara where uh, seven days a week I teach people basically how to eat and to um, 
foster their inner environment, their microbiome, to take care of themselves. And uh, since you're talking about the, uh, the science of magic, it's, it's truly magical, what you alluded to uh, early, that the communication between these other creatures, including plants and bacteria, with us is, is truly magical, and it's about time we start looking into the whole symbiotic relationship between the various denizens that occupy us. So tell me, do plants really defend themselves? Oh, absolutely. Um, the, the way I like people to understand is that plants, plants were here first on, on Earth, and they had it really great before animals arrived because nobody wanted to eat them. And when animals arrived, and the first animals that arrived were insects, plants had a problem because plants couldn't run, they couldn't hide, they couldn't fight the way we think of fighting. But can't, plants have a chemical ability that's beyond compare. In fact, they're alchemists, really. So they use chemical biologic warfare to make their predators either ill or think twice about what they're doing or to absolutely change the predator's behavior, which is some of the most fascinating things that plants accomplish. Um, and your, your example of a tomato is, is exactly right. We know that if, a, for instance, a caterpillar starts munching on a leaf of a plant, the plant can actually identify the vibration of an eating caterpillar and distinguish it, it from a vibrating uh, machine that we can duplicate to be the vibration of a caterpillar, but the plant can tell the difference. And if it's an actual caterpillar, it will increase uh, the toxins in the leaf um, about tenfold within a couple of minutes. And not only that, if a tree has an insect munching on one side of the tree, within 10 minutes, the leaves on the other side of the tree will be cued to increase their production of toxins. So uh, plants uh, react, they think, they have a defense system, and uh, we should pay attention to that. Now, I'm sitting here looking out the window at my giant sunflower and getting a little bit nervous. <laughs> so, the, so my, the revenge of the giant sunflower. sunflowers yeah Stephen King would love that <laughs> so my old shamanic teacher when referring to everything from pinion nuts to wild raspberries he used to tell me the plant will give you its gifts when it's ready to steal it ahead of time will make you sick what can you tell me about that yeah you know that's absolutely right I'm, I'm old enough uh, that we used growing up in the Midwest we used to uh, eat green apples before such a thing as a Granny Smith existed, and these were unripe apples. And we would develop what was called the green apple two-step, uh, <laughs> which was pretty impressive cramps and diarrhea. And the plant, actually, you're correct, wants you to eat uh, its babies, its seeds, its fruit, at a particular time when the seed is actually completely impermeable to digestion so that you will actually carry those seeds uh, away from the mama plant and deposit them someplace else with a generous dollop of fertilizer. 
and, and the plant does this through uh, color changes. And one of the things that's fascinating is that only animals that are fruit predators uh, have color vision. Uh, so, uh, for instance, great apes, birds, uh, bees, and uh, humans. So we have color vision because the plant actually uses color to tell us two things. Number one, that its seeds are now sealed for their protection. Uh, but more importantly, that the sugar content is actually the highest, so it's worth your while now to come and get it. And the colors that plants use are primarily in the reds, oranges, and yellow hues. And I'm always impressed that marketing companies know this about how we react to these colors. And if you go down the snack food aisles of any grocery store, you'll notice that most of the snack foods uh, are yellow, orange, and red hues uh, rather than uh, blue or purple or green. Uh, because this actually hits the receptors uh, in our brain that says, oh my gosh, there's a real treat here and we ought to uh, eat as much as we can of it. So it's, it's fascinating how much control plants actually have in communicating to animals, uh, okay, here's the time. So you're right, um, there is a time and a season for everything. And it's, it's interesting to me that uh, we, when we got away from our indigenous roots, um, I, I think there was a lot of checks and balances that we passed down in food preparation and harvesting that is now gone. Is that the case? And what's the ramifications? Yeah, that's very true. Um, one of the things that uh, we need to understand from great apes, uh, we actually only uh, ate fruit once a year. Uh, and fruit only ripened once a year, and that was during fruit season, and that was summer. And we actually did that because we would use the sugars in fruit to store fat for the winter. And the winter was a time of less food, whether it was a dry season, rainy season, cold season, uh, there was less food. So we used fruit to uh, actually, excuse me, uh, to prepare for winter. Uh, this worked out really good. Uh, until about 100 years ago when the United Fruit Company created uh, Chiquita Bananas. <laughs> and the, uh, they actually combined with the new formed Kellogg's Corn Flake Company, and they actually paid doctors to uh, tell people that a bowl of Kellogg's Corn Flakes with a sliced banana was the perfect healthy way to start your day, uh, even though it was basically a giant bowl of sugar. And what my research has shown is that uh, if you're eating, say, a bowl of uh, cornflakes, which you're not designed to eat, uh, with a sliced banana in February, for example, uh, your brain uh, runs version 1.0 of its operating system. It's never had an upgrade. And if you're, eating, if you're eating a banana and a cereal in February, your brain thinks it's late summer and that winter is on the way, and you should be stocking up fat for the winter. And so what I've done uh, in my first book and now in The Plant Paradox is show how these simple alterations in what should have been seasonal availability of food, uh, number one, 
has had devastating consequences on our incidence of obesity and diabetes because we're completely eating out of season. And in, in the second part of your question, there are a number of plant compounds that we have no business eating because we did not evolve to eat them. Uh, not only did our genes not evolve, but our gut microbiome, the bugs that live in our gut that constitute about 90% of all the cells in us, uh, they didn't evolve to deal with these plant compounds that are called lectins. And so we've had a real mismatch in recent years between what we're designed to eat and the timing of when we eat and what's happened to us now. That's an, it's amazing. We have just about a minute left here. So here we are, supposedly one of the most affluent societies in the world, and most of us are sick, fat, taking copious amounts of pharmaceuticals. Is this part of what's going on? Yeah. Uh, we, we have to understand that the, the pharmaceutical companies, the big agriculture companies, the big chemical companies like Monsanto, and sadly, our big uh, medical industrial complex uh, all are in the business of uh, sickness. And uh, a few years ago, I was asked to consult with some uh, manufacturers in a big Midwest city um, on a health program for their employees. And I said, well, you know, you've got this really famous medical school and university, and why don't you partner with them? And they said, well, as a matter of fact, we went to ask them to partner. And their response was, you don't understand. We're in the sickness business. We're not in the wellness business. And if we actually helped you have employees who were well, that would hurt our bottom line. It's a true story. Oh, my goodness. So we're going to have to pick up on the sickness business on the other side of this commercial break. Dr. Gundry and I will return to our discussion, so please don't go away. We're coming to you through the Exxon Broadcast Network. Don't miss the other fine shows and hosts on xzbn.net, and there's a bunch of new ones that are really exciting. You're listening to The Science of Magic, your resource for creative solutions in a changing world, thescienceofmagic.net. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Welcome back. This is The Science of Magic a place where magic and science come together to promote enlightenment. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. Our guest this hour is author of the New York Times bestseller, The Plant Paradox, Dr. Stephen Gundry. His website, gundrymd.com. 
www.thebusinessofsickness.com. So we were talking about uh, the business of sickness. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the, uh, you know, as, a, as an allopathic trained doctor, uh, I've been uh, really impressed with the growth of the sickness industry and go to any city, even minor cities now, and the hospitals and the surrounding areas are, are huge, huge monuments. And one of the things that's interesting is perhaps we should return to the German word uh, for a hospital, which was Krankenhaus, which was, <laughs> which yeah. was yeah, sickness house. Yeah. And these are not wellness centers. These are sickness centers. And really what I found uh, in my research uh, for the last 17 years is that you can actually uh, prevent illness, number one, but more importantly, you can actually reverse uh, most illnesses. And that that actually comes from a philosophy that Hippocrates had uh, 2,500 years ago. And Hippocrates believed that all creatures had an innate ability to have and want uh, perfect health. And that there were external forces that were preventing any creature, including humans, from experiencing perfect health. And that the physician's job was actually to act like a detective and to seek out the reasons, the obstacles that were preventing that person from having perfect health and then removing them, either by an action by the physician, but more importantly, by the physician instructing the patient uh, what these uh, obstacles were, and then the patient would remove them. And uh, what's been impressive to me and to, to many other uh, practitioners of restorative medicine is that Hippocrates was absolutely right. And it's just amazing what happens when you uh, remove obstacles for perfect health and watch somebody restore their health. And the reason I wrote The Plant Paradox is that one of those obstacles uh, are these plant defensive proteins that are called lectins. And uh, lectins are how a plant uh, makes their predator ill or hurt or think twice about eating them. In fact, fascinatingly enough, you can actually inject lectins. These are proteins that like mm -hmm. to bond to sugar molecules. Okay. And you can inject lectins in the belly of a rat. And that rat will become incredibly depressed and anxious, will actually kind of hide in the corner of a cage and not seek out food and not explore its environment. And if you think about it from a plant standpoint, that's a pretty good defense system. Yeah, it uh, takes care of the problem. It really does. Yeah. And it's fascinating the number of people I see with anxiety and depression just getting rid of a few of the more mischievous plants in their diet and their depression and anxiety lifts. And it, it's just like, how the heck can, you know, getting rid of a few plants out of your diet improve your depre depression? But when you actually look at the research, it's clear that the plant uh, wanted this to happen and could control this. 
Wow. You know, there's, there's something that I find fascinating, and I first ran across it, uh, of course, in my shamanic studies um, with my first teacher, who was a Lakota elder. Yeah. But yeah. He, he, without any scientific background whatsoever, would try to explain to me how we everything is in community. And, of course, yeah, we say we're all one and all this stuff. But he was talking <laughs> about the physical body. And he said, everything you eat, everything you touch, everything you commune with, you're a community. You're a community. And I could never understand what he was saying. But he says, you have to keep your community healthy. Would you speak to that? Yeah. Uh, and one we're, we're a giant, uh, complex organism. And human cells are actually the tip of the iceberg. Uh, if you do a body count of cells that exist in us and on us, 90% of all the cells uh, that make us human are actually non-human cells. They're bacteria, they're funguses, they're molds, they're worms. And strikingly, uh, if we look at our genome, the genes within us, 99% of all the genetic material that makes us human are actually non-human genes, uh, <laughs> bacterial viruses. And we are the aliens we seek, right? We are. And <laughs> we're, we're basically a condominium for bugs. And we are the home to the vast majority of cells that make us human. And we see ourselves as human, uh, but in fact, we're actually uh, a big house for bugs. And the more we're learning about the microbiome, uh, which is our collection of bugs, the more we're learning that this microbiome and its interaction with external factors, such as plants, the things we eat, actually controls so much of what happens to us. Uh, I'm giving a lecture in, uh, in Paris in a couple of weeks to the big gastroenterology conference, and there's some fascinating data now that you can take, uh, believe it or not, uh, bowel movements from young animals and feed them to old, decrepit animals. This is a rat uh, model. And the old decrepit animals will become young again because the information from these, if you will, young bacteria are sprucing up the house that they now occupy. It's uh, kind of like, you know, yuppies moving into a decrepit neighborhood and <laughs> gentrifying it. And as, as strange as that seems, we actually now know that the structure, the foundation of any of us can be dramatically impacted by changing the materials uh, that we rebuild with. And, it, you know, it, a lot of times you kind of go, do, 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 and it's like science fiction. But in fact, these are experimental studies that can be done and are done to show that we, you know, we are not who we think we are. And we're hmm. just this incredible connection. So when, we get to be the bugs. The plants don't like the bugs. So what happens to all this happy, happy, joy, joy, internal balance when we introduce the lectins? Well, lectins, among other things, are actually designed to attach to the wall of our gut. And people should realize that the wall of our intestines is the same surface area as a tennis court. 
all curled up inside of us. And that's where actually the outside world actually meets us. And so lectins uh, bind to the wall of our gut and they actually flip a switch and they break open the lining of our gut uh, through what are called tight junctions. And these lectins are uh, like foreign invaders. They're illegal aliens, if you will. (laughs) And they get across our border. And on the other side of our border, we have a border patrol. Believe it or not, most of our white blood cells, our immune cells, line our gut. And and interestingly enough, uh, a huge number of nerves line our gut. In fact, there's more nerve cells in our gut that exist in our entire spinal cord. It truly is our second brain. So what happens is when the illegal legal alien lectins come across our border, our border patrol says, oh my gosh, the illegal aliens have crossed our border and uh, we need to go to threat level five. Uh, we need to call Donald Trump and build a beautiful wall. <laughs> you know, I uh, guess that's not going to happen, but... Uh, <laughs> And what, what happens is our immune system becomes uh, on high alert and starts attacking uh, things that look a little odd in our body. And I, I just did a podcast, which we put on our website today, with Dr. Dale Bredesen, who's the, the world's leading researcher in Alzheimer's disease. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dale and I both agree that the reason we have an epidemic in Alzheimer's, it's the third leading cause of death in the United States now, and it's the number one cause of death in the UK. Uh, the reason we have this is we uh, have basically uncontrolled inflammation from a leaky gut. Yeah, and I was going to say, you just described leaky gut and acquired yep. food allergy and inflammation, yeah. right? That's yeah. exactly what it is. And uh, we never used to have this problem. And uh, a lot of it is because of what I call in the plant paradox, the seven deadly disruptors. And these are primarily drugs uh, that have been introduced uh, uh, in commonplace use in the last 50 years. Uh, They also, things like, for instance, antibiotics, not only that we take, but that are fed to all of our chickens, all of our pork, all of our beef. Um, And these antibiotics change the microbiome uh, dramatically. They kill off all the friendly bacteria that that live in our gut. And uh, if, if people like to think about their gut bugs as an incredible, dense, tropical rainforest, with uh, you know 10,000 different species that all coexist in this rainforest. And then you drop napalm on the rainforest and burn it to the ground. Uh, how, how long do you really think a full mature rainforest would get back to normal? And yet people think, well, I could take a round of antibiotics and then I'll just take some probiotics, some friendly bacteria and I'll be fine. Well, that's like if we you know, have a forest fire and we plant a few seedlings, we expect to see a forest uh, in a few weeks. And it's actually incredibly naive. 
There are now studies that show that a single round of antibiotics will deplete your gut flora for up to two years mm. uh, before it even begins to have more than one species. So it's, uh, and we, we give this stuff out like candy. Right. And have, have for generations. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This, you know, this started, uh, the broad spectrum antibiotic came out in the early 1970s. And, and thank, thank goodness we have it when we really need it. But oh, oh absolutely. my goodness, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, you know, thank goodness we, we have it, but we unfortunately use it for the wrong things. If anybody's got a little cold or sniffle or scratchy throat, we give antibiotics for a viral infection. Yeah, and it uh, doesn't do any good there, does it? It doesn't do any good. The other things that are fascinating is uh, we, our country is now overrun with um, Roundup, uh, glyphosate. Oh, yeah. We're going to have to take a break, but I really want to get into what, what that's doing. What are we rounding up with the Roundup? <laughs> so <laughs> on, the other, on the other side of this commercial break, we will get into Roundup. Dr. Gundry and I will be back shortly, so don't leave us now. This is the Science of Magic, your resource to altruistic professionals of science and the esoteric working to create common ground for the betterment of our world. Join our email family to receive our topic-driven episode collections at thescienceofmagic.net. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Welcome back. This is the Science of Magic, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I'm your host, Gwilda Wiecka. What's up in your world? Email me at info at thescienceofmagic.net and suggest a topic or a guest that's on your mind. You're probably not the only one interested. Our guest this hour is author of the New York Times bestseller, The Plant Paradox, Dr. Stephen Gundry. 
His website, GundryMD.com. Dr. Gundry, let's talk about neonicotinoids. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, then. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we... We were, we were talking about, you know, these disruptors that have really changed the game in how uh, our organism deals with the things we eat with other organisms. And one of the big things that's, that's happened uh, to our detriment is the introduction of uh, glyphosate. Uh, most people know it as Roundup. And, you know, Roundup was originally designed to... to allow genetically modified uh, plants, uh, such as soybeans, to uh, withstand uh, a lethal dose of an herbicide and stay alive while all the other weeds around it would die. And that, you know, on the surface sounds pretty good. And the way this works is that plants have a funny uh, enzymatic pathway called the shikimate pathway. And the, <laughs> yeah, and the shikimate pathway is only uh, present in plants, uh, but it's also present in bacteria, and we'll get to that in a second. And uh, dear Monsanto, when they applied to use uh, Roundup, uh, correctly said that humans don't have a shikimate pathway, so that Roundup couldn't possibly have any effect on humans, and the only thing it would affect is weeds, and that all sounds good. Unfortunately, uh, Roundup uh, became incredibly popular, uh, not only as a weed killer, but commercial farming, commercial agriculture has to harvest plants on a schedule. And to harvest plants, such as, say, wheat or oats or soybeans or flaxseed, you want them as dry as possible and dead because it's easy to harvest. And so Roundup started to be used as what's called a desiccant. Uh, you would go to a cornfield and you would spray, even if it wasn't GMO, and you would spray Roundup on it and the corn would die and then your uh, big harvester would come through and harvest the corn. Sounds good. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you don't exactly wash the Roundup off the corn. And that corn then goes into feedlots and is fed to cows and pigs and chickens. And we now know that Roundup uh, ends up uh, in the flesh of all these animals. In addition, there's no requirement to wash Roundup out of the foods that we're going to eat. So that taco chip that was harvested with uh, Roundup, you're munching on Roundup. Uh, In fact, we now know that American wines even have Roundup in them, unfortunately, and even a couple of organic ones. Well, so what? Well, it turns out that the bacteria in our gut uh, are affected by Roundup because they use the shikimate pathway. So Roundup has uh, systematically destroyed a great number of friendly bacteria in our gut. Plus, and research that I cite in The Plant Paradox, Roundup makes gluten more reactive to even people who aren't gluten sensitive. Plus, Roundup completely changes our vitamin D pathway in our liver. So we're finding that uh, Roundup is in everything uh, without uh, being labeled, you know, GMO. And smartly, Europe 
uh, has banned Roundup and continues to ban Roundup, but we're not so smart in the United States. And a great number of us, uh, David Perlmutter, uh, Dr. Dale Bredesen, Dr. Mercola, all of us uh, lay a lot of blame on our Ill, Ill health right now to uh, glyphosate and uh, how it's being used in ways it was never supposed to be used. And it's, it's doing a good job of killing us off. It certainly seems to be doing that, doesn't it? It's, you know, I mean, I look out in the general public and I remember what it was like 20 years ago. And young people used to be, look young, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and now our young people, and this isn't just inactivity. These are some people that are athletes. There's this role of kind of like watery blubber around the middle. And that's not that, that's ill health. What's causing this to happen? Well, again, it's, it's a lot of factors. It's certainly the food uh, that we eat that's totally been changed. Uh, I'll have uh, people that uh, are absolutely uh, gluten sensitive or appear to be uh, in America, and they go back over to Europe uh, where their families come from, and they eat uh, traditionally raised breads or uh, sourdough fermented breads. And they have absolutely no reaction. And they, they come back and say, oh, well, I guess I'm not gluten sensitive. And yeah, then, try some they, here. Yeah. yeah. Then they uh, they try some here and wham, it's like being you know hit by a sledgehammer. Mm-hmm. And it's really because all of our food has been so changed by our, our large uh, agriculture industrial complex uh, that we're we're daily being poisoned by food that looks otherwise like the food we used to eat. I mean, a mm-hmm. cow still looks like a cow. A chicken <laughs> still looks like a chicken. But the the old adage is that you are what you eat is true. But what's actually more important than and you alluded to this earlier is you are what the thing you're eating ate. <laughs> and. Uh, I'll give you a wonderful example from the book. Uh, she, uh, we were just talking about her yesterday. She's a, a psychologist from Los Angeles who had a really severe lupus and autoimmune disease, and she was on these biologic immunosuppressants that you hear advertised every night on TV. And uh, she was smart enough to realize she didn't want to do that the rest of her life. So we got her off of uh, all her immunosuppressants by following the plant paradox program. And um, I was visiting with her and the only evidence of any lupus that was still left in her was she had a little eczema on her upper eyelids. And I'm going through the list of foods to avoid and she's avoiding, she's avoiding the grains and the pseudo grains. She's avoiding the nightshades. She's avoiding peanuts and cashews. And, and we get to the good foods and we get to chicken. And I said, now you're eating pastured chicken, right? And she said, oh yes, I eat organic free range chicken. And my eyes went wide and I said, whoa, wait a minute. Uh, by law, an organic free range chicken is kept in a warehouse fed organic corn and soybeans and never let outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the law, a 2007 law. And she said, well, wait a minute, free range means go outside. And I said, no, free range means lock in a warehouse with 100,000 other chickens. Wow. And I said, I'll tell you what, humor me, don't eat any chicken. And you know, call me back. So she called me back in a month. She says, that was it, the eczema is gone. 
Fantastic. It was, yeah, it was the organic free-range chicken. Um, because the chicken, if it's eating corn or soybeans, it's designed to eat insects, bugs. Uh, if a chicken is eating corn, it's not a chicken anymore. It's actually a giant uh, ear of corn with feathers. <laughs> and that's what it is. <laughs> And don't and, don't forget don't don't forget the roundup that's in there too, right? Yeah, exactly. In fact, yeah. uh, we're not designed to eat corn. Uh, we never encountered corn until 500 years ago when uh, Columbus brought it back. And fascinatingly, if you look at corn, has a carbon atom that is identifiable. It's called a C4 carbon. And if you look at Americans and look at where their carbon atoms come from. Uh, over 70% of all the carbon atoms that make you and me, me, uh, are from corn. And if you look at Europeans, only 5% of the carbon atoms in a European is from corn. Mm. And that's because, for instance, the French banned corn as unfit for human consumption in 1900. Wow. Uh, and it's only suitable for fattening pigs. Uh, I tend to agree. Uh, <laughs> but then you eat the pig and you got the corn, right? Then you eat the pig. <laughs> yep, that's exactly right. So don't wow. eat the pig either. <laughs> uh, we have about a, a little, well, about a minute left. How do we avoid all these things that are killing us? Well, uh, the first thing you do is you, you go to your local bookstore or go to Amazon or barnesandnoble.com and you buy The Plant Paradox. And you start uh, following my uh, crazy advice. It's not so crazy. It's uh, been on the New York Times bestseller list for nine weeks now. So um, there's some, it's, it's certainly hit a note with a lot of people. We, we have to take back our health. Uh, the government is not going to take it back for us. Big food is not going to take us back. Uh, we've got to do this on an individual basis. And all of us actually have to be an example of eating right. And in fact, a, a doctor flew in uh, to follow me yesterday from Arlington, Virginia, the DC area. And I said, what, what made you come out here? And he says, well, I follow a lot of health gurus. And he said, you're one of the few of them that actually not only talks the talk, but you can see that you walk the walk. So oh, what that, I, that's whatever, you know, time has just flown and now we're out of it. Dr. Gundry, thank you so much for joining us on the science of magic. Thank you for having me. Our guest this hour has been renowned cardiologist, medical researcher, and author of the New York Times bestseller, The Plant Paradox, Dr. Stephen Gundry. His website, gundrymd.com. This has been The Science of Magic. You can always enjoy past episodes of our show free of charge at thescienceofmagic.net. Until next time, dear ones, may you be blessed with knowledge and comforted with love as you enjoy abundant health. Mm-hmm.